I finish the session and understand when we're doing Reiki on somebody, and for myself in particular, my eyes are closed as it's a very meditative process to go down the body and to work in the energy centers. So all of this is happening at the same time. I'm getting flooded with images. 45 minutes later, um, I help my client up off the table. She goes to the seat to get her shoes back on. And I, I reach over and I said, can I share something with you? <laughs> and keep in mind, I'd seen this client for you know several months. And she said, sure, honey. And I said, I just have to share with you that I, I just have this vision of this woman being here. And I give her the details and I told her the name and she says, she starts to cry. And she said, that's my grandmother. And it's where I learned to ride my bike. Welcome to the Driving Force Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Chase Rosa. In this podcast, I'll be unraveling the stories of high performers across sports, business, and wellness. By presenting their stories, uncensored and uncut, I hope to inspire you to take a step back, look within, and evaluate your path and journey. Today's guest is Anne Donnell. Anne is a psychic medium and Reiki practitioner based out of York, Maine. Over 12 years ago, Anne suffered a life-threatening medical condition with her third child's birth, leading her to make significant shifts in her life. It was through Reiki training that Anne discovered her intuition and psychic abilities. After a great deal of self-reflection and several years of studying under many different leading psychics worldwide, Anne began her career as a Reiki practitioner and psychic medium. Today, she uses her knowingness and psychic abilities to deliver thousands of healing messages and intuitive guidance to clients across the country and worldwide. She continues to study and expand her practice around the needs of her clients and offers many diverse classes for Manifesting 101, Psychic Intuition Development, and Psychic Medium Development. I've had a couple intuitive psychic readings with Anne and would highly recommend her if you're interested in seeing a psychic medium. In this interview, we get into Anne's relationship with spirit growing up, her journey to discovering her psychic abilities, Reiki healing, psychic readings, and much more. And so, without further ado, my interview with Anne Danell. Anne, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So let's start this one off at the beginning. Uh, do I have it right? They grew up in York, Maine? Um, up until is in kindergarten, moved away, and then back from the fourth grade on. Um, I uh, was born in Germany. My father was in the Air Force, and then we landed back here near uh, Pease Air Force Base. And then from basically elementary school on, I've been here most of my life, yeah. Oh, wow. So how, how long did you spend in Germany? Uh, I was born there, so not very long. Um, okay. The Air Force, so just, but um, kind of started there. I came out over in Germany, and then we landed here on the East Coast in Maine. Okay. So, so this, this has been home from what I can remember. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so did you spend most of your childhood and teens, et cetera, in Maine, New England? I really did. Yeah. I mean, just this whole area, um, definitely Maine and New York are home for me. Uh, the seacoast, I, I went away to school in New York and came back, um, to Maine. So there, it definitely holds, um, something special for me for sure. Yeah. I feel like the area tends to suck people in once they leave. Like, you know, it just bring, brings them back. Yeah, there's a calming energy to be here. Um, we got a little bit of everything. And so it, it feels really good. It's a, it's a really nice alignment. Yeah. So what did your parents do for work? So you mentioned your dad was in the Air Force? Correct. So my parents divorced um, when I was around the age of two. And so my dad uh, had a career in the Air Force and relocated over to California 
um, and has lived there since. And then my mom um, was had a brief stint, well, for a little while with Mary Kay. And then she, which is like cosmetics. Okay. And she was a single mom, you know, raising uh, four kids. And um, wow. then from there, yeah. So my uh, idolizing in the hard work my mom has done uh, probably was definitely instilled within myself. Um, and then she got into real estate um, and uh, became quite successful with that, uh, retired in real estate, uh, took over and, and ran her own business, her real estate business, and um, really successful with that, really hard worker. So real estate is, is all through our family, and it's a big part of uh, what we know and what she's done. Wow. Four kids, <laughs> single mom, real yeah. estate. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, and that market's not always consistent. So, um, yeah, so she, she hustled and, uh, real, really, really admire her for all of her hard work. So. Yeah. And where are you in the, uh, in the four? I am the youngest. So I'm, oh, okay. yep. I'm right there on the baby. Um, uh, my nickname a lot of times in my family is Annie. So I'm, I'm the youngest of four. I have a, an older sister and two older brothers. Okay. Are you all like pretty, pretty close, like in, in age and stuff like that? Uh, we're about three years apart from each other. And my oldest brother is about 11 years older than me. So, um, so we're, we're pretty close. Uh, but even, you know, like even with the age differences of my oldest brother, we all stay connected and have a great deal of love for each other. So we're lucky, very lucky to be raised around that. Yeah. Yeah. So sh shifting, I guess, gears here a little bit. Didn't know I'm like what you do now uh, being, being a psychic a medium. Was there any, like, how did like spirituality come into play when you were younger? Like, did you like see spirits growing up? Did spirituality play a big role in your family at all? Well, it's an interesting, it's an interesting story. Um, when I was around four, um, my mom was inviting this woman over to our house. And all I knew was that she was going to talk to a ghost. And as my four-year-old mind was like, what? Um, and at the time she just knew that she was going to talk to ghosts. And I just, in my mind thought like, okay, Casper, the friendly ghost of my generations, that's, that's what I knew, but it was just fascinating. Come to find out, um, you know, as we got older, the reason that she came to the house is that there was disturbances in the house that we were living in. And the medium came to try to connect to that spirit. And what she found out was that part of the house that we lived in um, supposedly came from the Isles of Shoals. Um, huh. There was a lot of devastation from the Isles of Shoals and they were bringing some of the lumber and the housing over here to use in, in the lumber and the construction. And when the medium connected to the spirit that was in the house, she gave her a name of Mary Ann and that where she was in the house, she was confused because she was looking for her parents and would kind of come into our bedrooms. She'd rearrange stuff in the house and she got attached to our family. And um, I would remember waking up in the middle of the night sometimes or playing Barbies in my room. And I just never felt like I was alone. And I think that was my first indication that we had activity in the house. Time passed on. And as I became a teenager, I would always ask my mom about that situation. And, you know, you have to think about the fact that my mom was open to working with somebody such as a medium. And so that is probably where it all started for me. And that deep connection um, when I was four, year, four years old started there um, in, in really feeling energy around me, but not knowing what it was. So it's kind of cool. Wow. So how long did you live in that house for? 
I want to say we were there for a couple of years, maybe three years, three or four years. Um, and you know, the, the, when we were there and we felt the energy, it dispersed a bit once the medium had come in to do the clearing. So it was a really beautiful time uh, to be there, but to feel something that we were not alone or something bigger was going on in that house. It's, I look back now and what I know now is kind of just this, you know, this future looking at where my life was going to go and being exposed to that at such a young age. Um, little did I know. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So was this a, like a friendly spirit or was it? Yes. Was, okay. Um, what I, I just, well, I will say like, I remember not my sister and I shared a, a bedroom and we had bunk beds and like, I had to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and I was terrified to get up. And I just remembered that I didn't want to like see anything. And I didn't know why I felt that way. Um, when I look back now and I really feel that time frame, um, the medium had mentioned to my mom that she really loved my sister and I, and that she always wanted to play with us. And so when I connect that to playing Barbies in my room by myself or doing something that would make sense as to why I never felt alone, but I couldn't really articulate that because at that age, you didn't know. Um, and I'm sure my mom didn't really want to startle us um, in letting us know that, you know, we weren't alone in that aspect. So it was, it was pretty interesting when I look back now on that. Yeah. And, and, and you were, you're pretty young, right? You said four, then yeah, you were living four. in the house. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how the experience was different for uh, like your older siblings and how, and how they remember it. Uh, I just remember sitting on the stairway and we had to, we got our, our night showers and we had our jammies on and my mom's like, you need to go up to your rooms right now because she had to come at night, the medium to connect to the spirit. And we had no idea. So she needed to get us to bed. And I was just so curious. Cause I'm like, I'm going to see Casper. And in my mind, I'm like, this is just amazing. And the experience just never left me. And I remember just my older brother and sister, um, not being as connected to it. Uh, my brother would get in trouble because my mom thought that he would leave the cabinet doors open down in the kitchen in the morning. And she's like, Christopher, what are you doing? Like the cabinet doors are open. Are you eating in the middle of the night? He's like, no. And so this is what led her <laughs> to, to finding out. And my mom taught Lamaze, which is natural childbirth. Um, she's a teacher. And through that, she met one of her students, I believe it is, that recommended this medium to come to the house. So it was a very organic connection um, to bring her, but it's interesting to see how we all uh, perceive the energy. And for me, I was just highly fascinated. And then my mind went on and grew up, and but I never forgot it. Um, still think about it today and it gives me chills. Yeah, that's crazy. So did, did you ever see the, the, the ghost? So here's the interesting thing. Um, when I see now and I see spirit, I see it in my mind. Um, I, ne I never saw anything with my eyes, my physical eyes, but I knew that there was something in my room. Many times I'd run out of my bedroom to go downstairs. We lived in a very large house. I just wanted to be around someone else. Um, it's that feeling of knowing that you're not alone, but yet you can't put your finger. And as a four-year-old, you can't comprehend that. Um, it's just, mm -hmm. I always wanted to be up there with my sister um, or somebody upstairs. And I would sometimes just get into play. And then all of a sudden I just got this like feeling and I'd want to leave. And I just remember distinctly not wanting to put my head out over the covers at night because my higher self probably knew that something was there. So it's, uh, yeah. So nothing with my physical eyes, but I knew something okay. was there at young age. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, like how 
someone who has had interactions with you know ghosts, spirit, et cetera, how to articulate how that feels to someone who might be really like, skeptical. Maybe let someone who listened to this might be really skeptical of that. Like I, how how would someone who hasn't kind of been in that sort of situation, like how would you describe it? Like that's kind of the feeling you would get when you're around a spirit who's also around you, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think there's this, you know, we have uh, our five or six or seven senses that perceive things. And sometimes if you can't see things with your physical eyes and it must not be real, right? You know, um, but when you feel those things, and I will say that there are many people who see spirit with their physical eyes. I see images now that's very few and far between, um, but I sense things and I see things within my mind that I can perceive that. But when you are in that situation, and that's what I work with a lot of people, I want them to trust how they're feeling. Where do they feel it in their body? It's the same thing as an emotion, um, sadness or love. It's an overwhelming feeling we know we have and to start to trust that. And when spirit comes in, it's just a feeling you know you're not alone. And then how do we dissect that to understand about it, um, to release the fear around that? Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, it's funny how things come full circle sometimes. <sighs> right? Yeah. So as you got older, got into high school and college, like, what did you think you wanted to do like for the rest of your life, your career, et cetera? Um, I had a, a love of baking and cooking and, um, love to bake. So I went to school for hotel restaurant management in New York for some, for a year. And it's funny, I was halfway through it. And I'm like, Hey, like, I love to cook and bake, but I don't want to work on weekends because I, you're working weekends and holidays. And I didn't put two and two together, but I liked, the thought of baking and creating things. Um, so I graduated with two associate degrees in hotel restaurant management and then nutrition because I love the aspect of the science of nutrition and got into a class and then just decided to stay another year and continue with that. When I left college, um, I was waiting tables and the owner said, hey, do you want to make some desserts? I know you like to bake. And I'm like, sure, I'll try it. And that created me baking out of my parents' kitchen for about a year. And then from there, it birthed me opening up a wholesale bakery called Sweet Winnie's. Okay. Um, and I ran that for eight years. Um, my first name is Winifred after my grandmother and my nickname through school. And a lot of people call me Winnie. And so I created a wholesale bakery and did that for eight years. Ah, fun. that's a fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Gemini, so Gemini, Virgo rising. So I'm able to kind of have my hands in a couple different things. So Okay. <laughs> Virgo rising. Okay. I was hoping we get into some astrology in the podcast. Oh, just, yeah, don't get started. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I know. Um okay. Where was the bakery? Um, it was in York. Um, it was okay. below my mom's office. So it was right here in York and um did that for eight years and then um ended up um starting a family. Right. Right. Okay. So I guess that's a good segue. So walk me through kind of that transition from running the bakery to, and I guess like more so your journey into finding like your psychic abilities and all of that. Sure. So, um, ran the bakery, shut that down. Um, had my first child, Gracie, um, shortly about a year later and got into motherhood, uh, was married um, with my husband at the time. Um, and we went on to have two more children. So I have three total and it was in that time frame, And I, I talk a lot about this because it's such an important piece and catalyst to what led me to where I am today. But after the birth of my youngest, um, 
I had um, something called, I had this, the issues with my heart and my chest. And it was about two weeks after Caleb was born and the doctors wanted to see me to make sure everything was okay. And keep in mind, my whole life, I had been like a hypochondriac, like anything that was wrong with me. I was like, I got to go to the hospital, check it out. So my family's like, okay, here she goes. She's going back. Went to the hospital and um, something wasn't right. Um, it, it was looking like I was, I had sustained a, or possibly a heart attack. Um, they, they thought I possibly, possibly passed a blood clot. Um, so they kept me for observation and tests for about two days and keep in mind, Caleb was like two weeks old. And so they had to bring him to the hospital and it was two to three days of just total, you know, gut wrenching fear. Cause I like my worst thoughts came true. At the end of it, they uh, diagnosed me with stressed cardiomyopathy and it, it presents like a heart attack. Okay. Um, so I left the hospital um, and got back to my everyday doing, but I didn't feel right. The doctors were treating me with medication for several months, everything fully resolved. So I was healed, but I didn't feel right. And it was at that, that moment that I remember calling a local psychic, his name is uh, Joe Waldron. And I remember leaving him a message and busy, talented man. And I said, Joe, I said, you know, I feel like my heart, something's going on with my heart. It's been a couple months, but I feel like, am I dying? Like what's happening? And um, he, I go along with my day. I've got the three, three small kids. I come back downstairs, like about an hour later and my answering machine is like blinking. And I said, oh, what's this? have Caleb on my shoulder. And he's just basically like, he's like, Hey, honey, it's Joe just got your message. Want to let you know that your heart's fine. It's just processing energy. He's like, all good to go. Take some deep breaths. Bye. And I played that about 20 times. And I said, <laughs> processing energy. And I had never heard the concept of my body processing energy or the body with the word energy. And so I was like, what? So that led me to go online and to type in body energy. When I thought about energy, I thought about putting on a light switch or turning on my oven. Um, the book Energy Medicine popped up by Don Eden, and it was shipped to me about a week later, and it changed my life. Um, it's like when you know something feels really familiar to you and you just don't know why. It was through reading that book that I understood that the body is more than just the physical essence, the dense matter that it is. There's more to it. And that led me to a, um, a class coming in, like, I think it was about a month later on, on Reiki certification. And I didn't know a lot about it, but I knew I had to go, excuse me. Um, and, and so I signed up for this class, knowing that it was where I needed to go and not knowing what was going to happen. Um, I marched to my old home ec room in my high school and um, left Chris with the kids. And I left that day from being attuned to Reiki one and something changed inside of me. I remember distinctly walking back in the house that Saturday. It's like it was an October Saturday, very chilly out. And I remember coming in the door and we had a big mud room because we had just built a house and you come in and then you can kind of see the kitchen from the mud room. And I see he's got all the kids on the countertop scooping up pumpkin seeds. And I had this moment where I knew the life that I had was, it was no longer going to be what I could contain it to be. It was no longer mine to live in. And it was such a flash and it scared me because it was the surest thing that I knew, but it didn't match the narrative of what I was living in that moment. 
Um, and so I had this pause and this fear, but I knew it was, I knew it was the truest thing for me. So I go in, go on with things, the months pass on, um, I practice Reiki on myself and, and the healing energy of that. And, uh, when you're going through something called like a healing crisis and trying to find truth or sense, um, you'll dig for whatever that is. And I remember one day cleaning the house and I was reading an article and I find that energy reaches us in many different ways. And there was an article by Ricky Martin and he had a quote that I hadn't heard from Martin Luther King before. And uh, it stated that our lives begin to end the moment we become silent about things that mattered. And in that very moment, everything just hit me that I wasn't living the life that I needed to at that point and something needed to change. And so that was the defining time that I knew that I needed to probably pull out of my marriage and start to understand what it was that I needed because I was being silent about what was important to me. Um, and, I, and I say this, that the relationship and the marriage taught me so much and I'm grateful for that. And without that, I wouldn't be doing where I am today. So we might read a book, we might see a quote, we might hear something that somebody says, and it just feels so familiar and so right in that moment. And it's just truth. It's just sometimes taking action on that where we get stuck, right? Yeah. So. Wow. And there is a lot, a lot to unpack there. But the first thing is the, what you got diagnosed with it was what again? Stress, cardio. Stress, stress cardiomyopathy, okay. which is also what called broken heart syndrome. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. So, so, so do you know what is it like exactly in terms of like what's kind of going on? So what happens from what I was told is that um, I think it's catecholamines. It's a stress. I don't want to butcher that, that name, but it's a stress hormone that gets released from the brain and it comes down and it stuns the left ventricle of the heart. Um, and what happens is it usually happens after a traumatic event. Um, you get into a car accident, um, somebody startles you like a burglar, you hear of the death of a loved one and the stress comes and it just cascades down. And then the symptoms usually happen about four to five hours after. So when I look back at what took place of like, how could this have happened to me? Um, the doctors just thought that because I had given birth, I also had an emergency hernia surgery about a week after Caleb was born. And so they thought maybe I passed a blood clot or something happened, but those two, the labor and the hernia surgery were just enough to stress me. When I woke up the night that I couldn't breathe, I got into a horrific emotional argument with my husband at the time. And it was indicative of our journey um, up until that point. And I had so much anger and so much upset and in addition to like postpartum like hormones but it was an indication that my soul's like you've had enough like what is it going to take to get your attention and so when i look back now um this incident this this um this period of time and what took place in my body went to my heart about how i love myself and how i'm how i was showing up and that i wasn't being honest that i was in a relationship that served me yeah, I was trying to make it work. So we just built a house. We have these three beautiful children. Like that's my identity. But at the end of it, I wasn't being honest with myself. And so my anger towards him was really not at him. It was for myself of not looking at what I needed and being honest. Cause I wasn't the same person I was when I met him 15 years prior. And so there's this coming together of like, how do I resolve that? And so it was a wake up call. 
Mm-hmm. And I see now like why it happened in my heart where we love ourselves enough to be honest, but also how we love others. And we allow that in. Wow. The, uh, the message that the psychic, uh, left on your, your machine, that was very, that was very matter of fact, uh, by him. <laughs> I, I, and I almost needed it to be matter of fact. He's like, yeah, you're good. Your heart's processing energy. And I'm just like stunned. And it's like a pivotal time, but as a matter of fact, yep. And when you see that it's, um, there's so much more that's never talked about because as my doctors treated me for afterwards, like, well, you're fine, but I didn't feel fine. I had anxiety. I felt disconnected. So where do you go when everything else says you're fine, but you don't feel it. And it's a very isolating place to be to search of what you need because you feel very lonely, you feel very alone. And especially if my whole life's about to fall apart when I know it needs to, but I don't know how I'm supposed to do it. So that's what it just led to that place about me being pushed to like, you need to get honest. And so, um, yeah. So the path I started on. Yeah, it's interesting. I was, uh, I was at an event in, in Portsmouth, New Hampshire a couple of weeks ago. A uh, family friend of ours released a new book talking about his journey, discovering the mind-body connection, how there's just so much more at play related to kind of the pain you're feeling that's out that's outside of the body, whether it is related to uh, some trauma that's affecting your mind or, or in your case, um, your body not or your body processing all this energy. So uh, yeah, it's really interesting how a lot of these stories are starting to to come through now. Everything's connected. Yeah. 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 Okay. So let's talk about Reiki now a little bit more. So for people who aren't, I guess, familiar with Reiki, like how do you, how do you describe it? Um, essentially there's so many beautiful healing modalities out there, but Reiki specifically, um, is a Japanese form of hands-on healing, um, to promote stress reduction, uh, relaxation and healing. Um, in terms of uh, physical body, mind, emotions, spiritually. And so what happens is the practitioner who's attuned to Reiki um, is allowed this energy to move through their body, their hands specifically to treat somebody. And what results in that is a balancing and a healing of the energy centers in the body. And there's a lot to that. Um, Chakras are one of the main areas that the energy goes through the body. to balance and heal. So it's a form of working with the energy. And I find the most profound thing around Reiki and why I was so drawn to it is that it was starting to fill in, fill in the blanks of when doctors couldn't treat me that I knew something still wasn't right. It was able to go to those places to make sense. It was releasing those emotional wounds and the behavior and the heaviness and sadness Um, and so Reiki really goes to all those levels, um, in a very subtle way to heal. Yeah. Um, were there any other, uh, I guess, healing methods, um, that like, what were, I guess, what were some of the other healing methods that you sought out, um, outside of Reiki, like during that time? Yeah. I mean, I think there were just other ones that drew me into this whole energy realm, uh, shamanism, Mm -hmm. um, and then went to cranial sacral, um, uh, acupuncture, 
meditation and there's different forms of where you go down that rabbit hole a bit because um, there's so many other areas to go but that was the basis i really dug deep into reiki which led me into what i do today um, i find when you find a modality you really just attach to that and i kind of did a, a deep dive with that with reiki especially mm -hmm. yeah and i've i've had reiki uh it down to me a different number of times i made my sister and my mom both do, do Reiki. So I'm, I'm very familiar with it. Um, uh, but people who aren't maybe describe like, uh, like a Reiki session and kind of what's like, I guess, uh, happening, I guess, for lack of a better word during that session. Yeah. So, um, the session can happen. Usually there's a massage table or a Reiki table. Um, and the person is going to lay down on their back. If they're comfortable, they can also sit up in a chair. Um, and we want them to relax. And what happens is as the practitioner, um, you start to get yourself in a balanced place. We want them to close their eyes. Um, and we start to just lay our hands on them gently. And as a practitioner and people who do this work, um, there can be a method of hand placement or just an intuitive guidance of where, you know, you need to go for the person. Some practitioners will talk to you ahead of time to see what's going on for you physically, mentally, emotionally, and there's areas of the body the Reiki practitioner will go to with their hands. Um, and as we work down the body and work with the person, we're, we're feeling this clearing happening. There's this movement that happens within the body and around the body for the person. Um, it's very gentle. The client doesn't need to know what's happening in that release. It's just their intention to be there at the session to let go of whatever needs to be let go of. Because um, sometimes we have things so buried and so deep, we don't even know that they're present. Yet at the end of a session, in the days and weeks that follow, what I find is there's a subtleness to not feeling so overwhelmed. There's an ease to our day that perhaps we didn't have when we went into the session. And it's a very subtle letting go in healing. It's very, very gentle. Yeah. And can you maybe give an example of an, uh, an area of the body that um, hold, will hold a particular energy, if, if that makes sense? Definitely. Um, let's see. So I'll go to, um, you know, females when I'm working with them, um, two areas, they always tend to have a lot going on with say their shoulders that's connecting up to their neck or having dental issues and issues with this. And so there's a particular chakra, um, called the throat chakra. Um, and it governs a lot of, of the, the area of the body and it has a spins to a beautiful blue color. And what I find a lot is that it's not operating correctly. And so we might have um, physical manifestation of, you know, stiff neck, um, spines out. Um, we might have some dental issues or we might have sore throats or stuff like that. That area of the throat chakra is about speaking your peace and your truth. And I know a lot of the people that I work with just for a particular instance have a lot of issues balancing their thyroid which is about hormonal health, feeling out of balance, uh, affects mood, weight, regulation. And so a lot of times when I'm going there, um, this person's needing to speak truth, needing to express themselves and stand in who they are to be able to express themselves and not suppress that. And so we might do a lot of work with that is just one area in particular. Interesting. Okay. And, uh, okay. So you're, you're on this path, you're, you're learning Reiki, you're, you're doing Reiki. Um, what, how are you able to eventually discover your intuitive and psychic abilities? Like, was there a particular moment? Yeah. So, um, I, I recall a client. Um, so I will let you know that, um, as I was, um, 
going through the separation of my marriage. Um, at that time, I was also volunteering at the local hospital um, as a Reiki practitioner. Oh, did, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So just to practice and to work with the staff. And so I was doing that for a couple of years and I was approached by the supervisor if I could train some of their nursing staff to be attuned to Reiki. And it was a huge like honor, but I, I was going through a divorce and going to be moving out of my house. And then I had this opportunity to train nursing staff and I had never taught anybody, but I knew I wanted to. So I had to make the decision said, yes. Um, at that time I opened up um, an office, Blue Tree Reiki. And that's where I started to teach and to see clients um, outside of my volunteer work that wanted to continue the work with me. And as I would schedule clients to come in, I remember specifically working on one of my clients. And as I would close my eyes, I started to see stuff in my head that was very similar to my imagination, but it was just persistent. And it would look like a vision from, you know, someone's memory. And it was a distinct picture of a woman in a farmhouse in the Midwest, uh, that creaky like um, screen door, the kitchen's detailed. I see like a can of lard on the stove, one of those plastic um, napkin holders and she had an apron on. Um, her hands were rough and her sleeves were rolled up and she had shortest hair. And I just wanted to say Dorothy or Dottie, Dorothy or Dottie. And so I'm on the head and I'm moving down on the client. And, um, and as I'm moving down, I'm also getting something about a bicycle falling and the, the bicycle falls, the knees hurt and I have to get back up. And then I keep moving down and I finish the session and understand when we're doing Reiki on somebody and for myself in particular, my eyes are closed as it's a very meditative process to go down the body and to work in the energy centers. So all this is happening at the same time. I'm getting flooded with images. 45 minutes later, um, I help my client up off the table. She goes to the seat to get her shoes back on. And I, I reach over and I said, can I share something with you? <laughs> and keep in mind, I'd seen this client for you know several months. And she said, sure, honey. And I said, I just have to share with you that I, I just have this vision of this woman being here. And I give her the details and I told her the name and she says, she starts to cry. And she said, that's my grandmother. And it's where I learned to ride my bike. And I just looked at her and there was this feeling that came over me that I didn't know what to do with it. And so, so that, yeah, it, it shocked you as almost as much as it shocked her or even more. <laughs> it was because you kind of, kind of step into that and be like, I'm going to think I'm crazy. Like I, but I got to share it. And, um, that led to her coming in for Reiki sessions and me working with other people. And one day she came in and she says, Anne, honey, can we not do Reiki? And can you just sit next to me, hold my hand and tell me stuff? <laughs> and I was like, okay. And it came in fast and furious. And eventually people would come in and ask for that and not Reiki or both. Um, and I had to touch them to get the messages. And eventually it got to the point that I didn't have to hold their hand or touch their body. They would start to come into my office and I would start to just get things going on in my head, like little scripts, little movies. And um, I knew at that point I had to reach out to my Reiki master to say, what is going on? Like, I can assume what this is, but I really don't know. And she said, you're opening up. She's like, go develop it. And that led me on the journey to do that. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> okay. So actually what's interesting, oh, I want to back up a little bit. Um, that's cool how this hospital allowed you to do Reiki on 
some of the the people in the in the hospital. I feel like is that I don't think that's normal, right? Um, actually, so a lot of hospitals in the area have a, a volunteer Reiki program. Uh, Portsmouth Hospital um, in New Hampshire is probably one of the first hospitals in the United States to offer uh, volunteer Reiki practitioners to come in uh, pre-op and post-op. And it's extraordinary. Like every hospital will have their own uh, Reiki volunteer program. Um, no two are the same. And so it was a great opportunity for me because I was working with nurses, um, usually not doctors, but nurses. And they'd say they just had surgery. You know, they're having nausea. Could you go in? And I might just knock on a door and say, would you like some Reiki and explain to them what it is? Um, it's a healing technique for, for relaxation. And um, they would either say yes or no. And so the hospital was very proactive with that, which I'm so grateful for. And because of that, I met a lot of people, nurses, and then it brought into the, the opportunity to teach. So interesting. Okay. That, that's cool how they, how they do that. Um, I always kind of hear about this hard sort of separation between Western medicine and kind of more Eastern medicine, but it's nice to see that coming together. It's a great thing. Yeah. yeah really grateful for that. Okay. So you start doing more and more and more of these, uh, psychic readings for people. Um, like, does it come to a point where like, maybe I can start a, a business here? Like how talking about how that all developed. Yeah. So, um, I, I went to several teachers, which I highly recommend for anybody who gets into this field, but for me, I had to figure out how I worked. And so I remember going to a development class and the school of thought is, um, you know, we're all able to tap into this energy that not that you can be psychic, but not medium. And so the difference between the two is that everybody's psychic, but not everybody's a medium. And the difference between the two is that if I'm, if I'm psychically reading energy, I'm perceiving energy around you or something, I can perceive it and just see it and look at it where mediumship is a receiving of information. I'm trying to channel something to come to me versus just looking at something. They're very different methods, but kind of coming from the same space of the ether. It's this, this, this energy field that is there. And I just feel like you're, you're, you're using different forks to, to serve yourself from it. It's coming into you. So psychic is seeing things that are very quick. I'm perceiving information on someone where mediumship is connecting the spirit and receiving that information to pass it forward. Um, I had to develop both of those and I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't, had no idea. And through the course of that, I realized that I was not only psychic, but medium. Um, through the exercises, through teaching, worked with some phenomenal um, uh, teachers, um, John Holland, Colin Bates, um, Tony Stockwell out of England. So Janet Nohavik um, down in New Jersey. So I had to just figure out what was happening to me um, because it can be unnerving to not know and not have organization with it and just be flying it out there and be like, hey, by the way, you know, I know this or that. So the responsibility came for me to understand how to use this in an ethical, professional and responsible way and learn my skill with that. And that was over the course of several years from that first point with my, with my client on the, on the Reiki table. Um, and I remember leaving a big group uh, mediumship weekend. And at the end of the weekend, there was like 50 of us. And I had this burning question to just, to just say something to the group. And we were all invited to stand up and, and test out our mediumship. And we're just students. And I remember standing up and sharing um, the story of a, a gentleman. And I said, I just have to let you know um, 
that I have a male here with an H name and he keeps showing me a submarine, but I keep wanting to like pull you around and basically like a, a red rider or one of those wagons, it's like a red wagon and I just keep seeing it. And, um, and I just kept going. So we're reading other students in front of the whole audience at the end of the weekend in front of our teachers. And um, he started to cry and he said, we're redoing that wagon because my son, Henry, is going to be born soon. <laughs> and it was a wagon that was given to him from his grandfather. So I left that, that workshop and I knew that I didn't have it 100% yet. I was still learning how to do this, but I had an overwhelming need to just sit with people and allow them the opportunity to receive messages, to work with me, to be patient with my process, but I didn't know until I tried it. And then I started doing small groups and inviting people and just learning as I went. And I would be very honest about that. And it's like, you, I took the training wheels off and just did it. I was scared, but it's an, it's an overwhelming desire to connect. And that's how you learn your craft is just to kind of get into it and deliver and to practice. Yeah. Like anything else. Yeah. Anything else. Right. Yeah. So with the case of your, the first client in, in the hospital, was that a case of you tapping into spirit or is that more psychic? Um, so when I was seeing this woman, so it, it taps into how you use your, your clairs. We tap in and use certain clairs to understand energy and to see stuff. So as I was seeing this woman, I was being shown this, but I felt like I was being shown this by somebody else. When I worked on my client, um, I felt as though that that grandmother Dottie was with me. She was showing okay. me a memory. So yeah, it was very mediumship, mediumistic, but you use your psychic faculties of clairvoyance to get the message. So okay. that, that leads into how we can talk about that. <laughs> um, yeah. So what are, what are these, uh, actually, but before that, um, there's a, there's a question I ask, what is the, like, like in terms of controlling this ability that you have, is there, are you like, do you have to sometimes like turn off like a faucet and like, are you like getting bombarded? Do you ever, do you ever get like bombarded with like, uh, like messages or, or seeing things, or is it something you like turn on? Like, can you, like, how does, how does that work? Yeah. I, I've learned over the years to um, just, it's like a, it's like a purse, like it's a perception. So uh, it's like, I turn my perception somewhere else and it is like a switch for me now, but in the beginning, I was excited because I would get messages. Um, in the beginning, it was overwhelming and I got very exhausted because I was being bombarded because I had no, no organization or, or training with it. And so I had to start to make sense of it. But in the beginning, it was very exhausting. And when I'm teaching my students, it's so important to understand your own energy and how you're getting information. Is it psychic? Is it mediumship, mediumistic? And kind of deciphering between the two. Um, so I can turn it off now today. Um, sometimes it'll pop in, but it may not be a convenient time for me. So I ask spirit energy, um, come back and it's honored because I have the boundaries there energetically with that. Interesting. Okay. And so Claire's, what are those without, without going too, too deep? <laughs> yeah, so Claire's are just the basics of I'm going to be teaching somebody or understanding. So think about... I'm very visual. So think about a plate of food. And if the food on the plate is the message from spirit or the psychic insight that I see, how do I get that food 
and eat it? Like, how do I translate that to myself? And so think of a fork and we have four, four basic clairs. There's clairvoyance, clairaudience, clairsentient, and claircognizant. And so the clairs are our psychic faculties of how we connect, how we receive the information. And, and one of those clairs is very strong for one of us, sometimes all of them, sometimes just one. And until you know how you receive information, do you hear it? Do you see it? Do you know it? Do you feel it? You won't understand how and why you're getting it. So we need to strengthen those to understand how you work individually versus somebody else through your clairs. They're, the, they're the, like the psychic tool that connects us to everything. And we all hone one of those or many of those. If I explain that clearly. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Um, I, I was listening to maybe to just like draw a little bit, a sort of like a parallel here um, to a, a podcast last week. Um, it was more so leadership oriented where this leadership coach was talking about um, how some people lead through EQ, IQ, and BQ. Some more is it like IQ, like intellectually, EQ, emotionally, and BQ through like body. They just feel like something with this upcoming decision. So um, maybe that's kind of sort similar sort of parallel. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, you're, it's, it's one of the, it's the um, knowingness it's your senses. So absolutely. Like you, some of us are stronger in the EQ than the IQ. And, you know, when you're working with someone who's sensitive, we have to understand, well, you know, if you got a, if you got a bad feeling about not taking a trip, I would ask one of my students, like, did you feel it in your belly? Did you hear something in your head or did you see something in your mind? And so sometimes we have to, we don't take the time to understand actually how we're getting um, information that's coming in. And I help them kind of, you know, sort that out. So you do know and um, understanding how to translate that. You know, it's like the spirit, um, the language of spirit. It's a very, very different language, but it's so subtle yet so simple as well. Once we take the time to understand it and how you work. Yeah. Okay. So shifting gears here a little bit. Um, let's talk about like more so what happens during, during like a psychic reading in one of these sessions. So what's your advice for people ahead of like an upcoming psychic reading? Is it helpful to prepare notes, questions ahead of time and, and so on? Um, it's, that's a great question. So, you know, I really, the best thing I can tell somebody to come in is to come in with an open mind. Um, I know that might be a general thing to say, but it's the most helpful. Um, come in with an open mind in, in whatever will take place. Um, people can prepare to bring questions. They can bring photographs, uh, depending on if it's a psychic session or a mediumship session. You can come in with questions that are pertinent to everyday life, which might be psychic based, um, my job, my relationship, mediumship. Um, you can bring in photographs or objects um, or questions for their loved ones. Either will do, but at the end of the day, come in with an, with an open mind and just be open to whatever's gonna happen to come in to that space. Um, and, and, and a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of skepticism um, when we come into these sessions and I really want people to be, um, to be okay with that. It's an understandable thing to come in and come into something so vulnerable as connecting with spirit and, and going through memories or emotions and connecting on a very intimate level with somebody with vulnerability. So that skepticism is a, is a huge piece of allowing the psychic and the medium to work for you, um, to leave that session knowing that there was a genuine connection, which is, which is important. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, I know for me, um, before I had my first session with you, um, it wasn't wasn't so much skepticism, um, just because I guess my my family and you know they're my mom, my sister particularly like all into that sort of stuff. But there's definitely some there's definitely some nervousness <laughs> ahead of time, uh, just not knowing what to expect at all. But I think having that open mind, going into it with an open mind beforehand, definitely helped for sure. It does help. And I always, you know, I'm glad you said that because having an open mind and not and being nervous is so understandable. I have people who've waited years to come in to see me because they didn't know what to expect and there's fear and there's nervousness and like what's going to happen. And that's really understandable. And I think when you're working with a qualified um, psychic medium intuitive, um, they'll know how to handle that and, and put you at ease because when you're at ease, there's much more flow to the reading um, of what will come through. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So what's the moment like for you when you connect to spirit? Like, how do you differentiate between, I guess, your mind and spirit? Like, is, is it a sensation? Like, is something you like see, like receive as you were talking about before? Mm. Uh, let me try to explain. Let's say it's such a great question. So um, when I start to connect, I get pulled over to my right. Like my whole body just gets pulled over and I have this feeling of energy coming into the right side of my, my, my mind and kind of my essence, my body. And so when I start to connect for somebody, I literally switch my perception. Me personally, um, and I know that over the years of learning with other teachers starting out, I work a lot of times with my eyes closed because I can connect better and kind of keep all the distractions out. And I know a lot of teachers don't like that, <laughs> but I've learned that that's what works well for me. So many times I will close my eyes, those that have worked with me, and I'll start to feel this energy kind of move in, inside of me a bit, um, come to me. I like to explain it in the way that it's very similar to your imagination. Those who have a very visual imagination, um, it's very similar to an imagination thought. Um, when I get psychic information um, coming into my mind, I see a picture in my mind. I'm very clairvoyant. I'm very clear seen. So I might see that your dishwasher is broken, or I might see that you got to get your tire fixed, or I see someone flying, you know, in two years someplace. I, I get these visions very clear and they come in very fast. So the minute I start to engage in a session, I kind of step out of the way, the physical and, and I let this higher, this higher force come in, this energy come in, kind of take over. Like I stand back, they come in and it's very much a channeled state. Um, and so I'm either reading the energy of the person, depending on their questions, or I feel this energy kind of come close to me. And the first indication will be, well, do I have a male or a female? And I'll start with that. And as we, we go to figure out who I have here, I start to have other information and evidence that comes in to give me some details, but I feel their presence. And it's the same presence I felt when I was four years old, but I was too scared to acknowledge it where here I am pulling in that same energy and understanding now what it is and inviting it. Interesting. And going, going back to what you're saying about, um, uh, like that person needs their person's dishwasher is broken or they need to get a new tire. Uh, those are probably like the more, the, whether you purposely, uh, I guess mentioned it or not, like the most funny, I guess, parts of the, of the session that, I, that I remember <laughs> from you. Um, it actually, it actually helps kind of ease the, uh, uh, the nervousness too. Um, cause I don't, they're, they're, they're random, but sometimes they're very spot on. So <laughs> 
Yeah, and you know what's interesting is that every teacher out there will teach a different way to do mediumship and to do a reading. And I I respect all those teachings. And what I had to find out for myself as a teacher and how I how I work as Ann Donnell is I have to just create the sessions as they come with fluidity and it just comes in in a free space. So sometimes I will jump between mediumship and psychic information. And I tried to suppress that for a very long time and just stay in mediumship, but I wasn't being my authentic self. And I don't want to suppress anything, even if it means like, you know, you got to head to the dentist and they're like, uh, yeah, I do. It's almost like <laughs> yeah. indication, like we've got you, we're, we're, we're around you all the time and we know what needs to happen and what needs to be done. So it's, it does lighten it out quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Are there any like ethics or principles you abide by when it comes to conducting psychic readings, mediumship readings, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, strongly about ethics with us that, um, you know, you know, we're not, we, there's never any absolutes in our readings, meaning that I don't know when someone's going to pass away. I'm not given that information. I, I don't make predictions that might deal with someone's longevity. Um, we don't just um, also blurt things out. So one of the, the main things is having respect for the energy and privacy of others that um, you might see it on televisions like she's in the deli and she comes right up to me and she says, I got your grandfather here. And that's wonderful for te television, but we always have to ask permission to share a message with somebody um, because they may not be ready to receive it or in a place. And that's the first thing. So the ethics with that and also confidentiality, um, keeping things private so people have a trust in what you're doing. Those are the two biggest things. And also that the, one of the, the biggest things is that we come equipped in this particular lifetime with free will. And so no matter who we see, um, no matter the energy workers, healers, mediums, psychics out there, um, we are in the driver's seat of everything that we're doing. And so there's, a, there's an ethical quality about sharing messages with somebody and knowing that at any point you leave a session, you might have a great reading, but that will change from the minute you leave their studio, their door, their office, and you have free will over your life to create what you want, despite what came through in a reading. Um, nobody has jurisdiction over your free will, even a psychic or medium. So we use the readings to enhance or to get clarity, to make different life decisions or different choices if we need to. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's taking that clarity from the reading and then using that in your own way and how you process things to then make the choices that you want to make. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that you, you 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 touched on uh, free will too. Um, a couple episodes ago, I had a career astrologer on, and we talked about that too. Um, how we, even with an astrology reading and what you know the planets might be saying and and all that sort of stuff, what the transits say, it's still up to kind of that person uh, and the choices that they make in terms of what they want to do with their life. So, yeah, and you know, on that note, you know that leads into empowering clients to stand in their truth and stand in their power and create the life that they want and knowing that they're capable of doing that despite your past, despite what's happening now, you have the potential to change anything from the minute you wake up every day um, to do something different. So hopefully reading supplements somebody to just get a bigger perspective on maybe what they want to do something differently and expand on that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, how about post reading? Like what do you recommend clients do after a session in order to I guess, maybe like benefit the most from it or like let it resonate the most and, and all of that um i 
you know, I, I, I think there's so much energy that comes off of a reading when they leave, there's high emotion and there's so much that comes through. And, and one of the things that I explain to my clients or my students is that a lot of times in a reading, um, information will come through that may not make sense. Like I might say, well, I'm seeing a move for somebody or a job change in the next six months. And like, well, that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and then sure enough, an email will come in, like, you'll never guess the company got bought out and I had to change jobs. So when we have notes or a recording from a reading, um, that it may be great to listen to it again or let yourself process the reading in itself because there's a huge emotional component to coming into a reading with somebody and how they walk out with that and what they have to process. And take the information, sit with it, listen to it again, look over the notes again, and just, I always say, let go of the outcome. It's really important to let go of the outcome of whatever the reading is for the client and for the medium. Um, use it as, like I said, to, to create more um, expansion in your life to look at that. But um, when you leave a reading, a lot of people can be very exhausted, um, very emotional and kind of drained. And that's pretty typical. So just take it easy, um, process the information if you can, and just sit with it. Yeah. Yeah. Are there certain themes? Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm guessing these might be pretty obvious, but that clients tend to touch on the most when it comes to uh, intuitive readings in terms of what one they want to talk about? Um, so in terms of intuitive readings, um, I think the big ones is life purpose, um, feeling stuck with where they're at and trying to make some sense of what direction to go in. And um, that gets into me helping them trust themselves, trusting their thoughts and their emotions because we're equipped with that, but sometimes we don't know how to make sense of it. And so the biggest piece with intuitive guidance is probably relationships, um, career choice, or feeling as though that, you know, somebody wants to make a complete opposite change in their life and they're scared to do it. Um, so we dig a little deeper as to what brought them to where they are today. And we kind of unpack that a bit to see how they're feeling and then what that looks like going forward. Yeah. What's uh? do you have like a mission as a, like psychic as or intuitive? Like what's your, what's your mission? If you had to boil it down. Um, my mission is to bring a sense of relatability to this work, um, to empower people to know that, they have the answers um, to bring connection to this work for others. And I think it's really about connecting people. Um, one of the biggest things that I feel and I see that I, when I talk to clients is the sense of isolation. Um, they've always felt drawn to this or their life feels very lonely or I feel separated from people. But at the end of the day, we all want connection. And through intuitive guidance, it's just one of those methods we can do to connect to people, to let them know that they're not alone and then they can trust themselves, trust their guidance. Yeah. Yeah. I love the, the relatability piece that you touched on. Cause I feel like certain shows, I guess these days will make the idea of kind of seeing a psychic or a medium, not relatable at all and very kind of intimidating. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's so, that's why when I said that, you know, if I'm working with somebody for the first time, I, I get the skepticism. I, I, I kind of invite it actually, because as a medium who does evidential mediumship, I, I need the reading to speak for itself that when you walk in, there's things that you know that have happened in your life that I have no business knowing, but spirit knows to pull that information through to share with you. 
Um, like you can't, you can't type up particularly a memory um, of an apple tree planted when you were four years old, yet they're showing me an apple tree and this child around it. They're showing evidence and memories of the strongest piece that the person sitting in front of me um, will understand and spirit understands that. So working with somebody and the evidence coming through is super important um, to creating that trust and also creating vulnerability in a reading to be open. Mm-hmm. Super important. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I want to talk about teaching others to tap into their own intuitive and, and psychic abilities. So when, when did you start teaching others to do that? Um, it was probably about four five years ago. Um, funny enough, I was at a workshop um, with a really amazing teacher um, and it was a three-day workshop and I left the very last day halfway in the class. We were on break and I didn't want to come back. So I was so fired up to like, I got to share this with others. I got to share the basics and the fundamentals of how everybody can use this to develop, whether you go on to be a professional psychic medium or you use this intuition and this guidance um, every day in your everyday life to empower yourself, to make decisions, to have a clear path to what you want to do. And so it's about four years and I, I love it. It's probably one of my most favorite things to to do with others, with my students and to meet these people and to watch them just open up. Yeah, yeah. Do certain people like have more natural ability to become psychic than others? Like, how does that work? Um, you know, my school of thought with that, and that's just through my teachings and what I what I feel with spirit and energy is that we're all... I, I feel we're all energetic beings having this human experience and these, these vessels that are dense energy that are matter. And so if we're all able to be that, then we're all capable of tapping into something beyond what our senses are. And I, I relate it to your gut instinct. You know, we all have a gut instinct. It's just, some of us don't listen to it and it's no fault of their own, but life gets in the way we're in, you know, uh, relationships that aren't, are not healthy. We're at a job we don't like. And so when people are coming in to train, it's that wanting and intention. That's everything that allows that person to tap in. So yeah, everybody can do this, but if we're not emotionally in an aligned place um, in our lives, it's very hard to be open to how you receive information. So everybody can do this. Not everybody does it um, depending right. on right. where they are. Right. Yeah. Yes. At a, like a higher, higher level, how do you teach someone to tap into like their psychic intuitive potential? Like, does this have something to do with the clairs you were talking about earlier? Yeah, so that, yeah um, it's really understanding the fundamentals of how their fork gets the food to put into themselves. So like how they connect clearly to spirit and we have to get the fundamentals of these, like, it's like these psychic faculties allow us to read energy and knowing how you receive energy is going to be different than the person that sits next to you. I want everybody to own their own mediumship and their own psychic abilities because they're different for each person. Um, there's that saying, comparison is the thief of joy. And I really try to empower my students just to own what they're doing and their experience, which will be very different than mine. Um, I, I always say that, you know, when the student's ready, there's that quote, the teacher will arrive, but I find so much that I learn from my students still today and how they develop and uncover. And so it's a mutual respect when I'm going into a classroom to work with these people who are opening up. So that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's awesome. How long of a, I guess, process might, get, might it take for someone to begin to, I guess, 
usefully, I guess, utilize their psychic abilities through like mm-hmm. your teachings, if that makes sense? Sure. Um, I think it just varies for everybody, depending on where they are in their lives. I mm-hmm. have a lot of people who come to me because they're at a crossroads or not happy. Um, they're, they're seeking more, they're wanting more. So depending on where somebody is in their path, like, are you a new parent? Are you at a college? Are you in your forties or fifties? So depending on the need of where they are energetically in their lives will depend on perhaps how they accelerate. Um, and there's a lot of hesitation to accelerating too, because a part of us, there's this fear that I noticed, and I had it that we want to know, but we don't <laughs> almost afraid of our own power. You're almost afraid of your own intuition. And I, I just want to invite people that it's never outside of us. No one has to grant us permission to use that intuitive guidance. Um, it's there for you to, to feel, to know, and to build. It's always inside of us. So it's, it varies for each person, but if someone getting into this career, I would want them to practice. And if you're working with the public, you know, you probably get several years under your belt to get um, comfortable with that. I still learn. I'm, I've been, you know, 14 years into this developing. Um, and I, I don't think I ever stopped learning. Um, and I hope not to. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Let's get into these last uh, handful of questions here. Um, as an example for the audience and sorry to, I guess, put you on the spot here a little bit. Is there anything you see or notice about me that... <laughs> like you're, you're tapping into, or I guess, yeah, if that makes sense. Um, well, the first thing that I have as, um, as you just asked me that is I see this wave come around you. Like the minute you just said that I'm going to go psychically with you because I just kind of look at you and I see this wave of change about to take place. So the minute I, I look at you, there's this wave coming and spirits like just brace for it, but ride it. And it's almost like you have one foot here and one foot going forward. And they say, embrace the wave because you're going to be riding above the wave to go forward. And this would indicate to me career job or a continuation or expansion upon what you're doing or, or take or branching that off into something additional. It's the first thing that comes to me as you just said that. Um, and I don't know if that makes any sense to you. And as I'm talking to you right now, I, I, I keep wanting to go to your feet and I don't know why. Um, okay. If you're, if you're, bother you or your shoes, but I'm going to your feet right now. Interesting. It's the wave. And um, if I'm looking at your feet, it's either knowing that you're standing solid in the ground that you have, and you can, you're not going to be washed over. Um, or there's actually something physically going on with your feet. Like you got to, you stubbed your toe, your arches hurt, your feet, your foot's bothering you. So it's either literal or symbolic of why I see something like that. And that's how I bounce. as I see right. that. Yeah. So. Awesome. What's it like to be a mother with psychic abilities? Like, do you feel compelled a lot to like share your, your insights and what you see with your, with your family a lot of the time? I kind of have to keep my trap shut actually a lot of the time because I, (laughs) I feel a lot. Um, but I also know that the busyness of motherhood and I've got teenagers, it keeps me really grounded. And so I'm able to disconnect from you know, working as a medium and a psychic and being present for my kids to get them to school on time, getting to a lacrosse game, you know, doing all these things. And so I find this, this mix of, of, of supporting my children and even my family, but my kids, but also knowing when I I can't say something because I need them to work through it. And so that at times can be a challenge for me that I've learned. Um, so yeah, but, um, um, otherwise I'm, you know, super not cool. Um, (laughs) 
they can't find matching socks for school or I, you know, I, I burnt dinner, like I'm down to earth as it can come. Um, they definitely keep me grounded. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's say we meet again on the street in five years. What would you want to be telling me that you've accomplished or created since this conversation? Maybe personally or professionally? Oh boy. You know, honestly, I am so, I'm so humbled and continue to be humbled by doing what I'm doing right now, that if I am still doing this and, and meeting new people and more people and reaching um, whomever that comes upon my path, like I would be very grateful for that. So I'm still doing this, maybe traveling a little bit more to go meet people within this field. But if I can still do this, um, I'd be very grateful. So that's what I'll be doing. It's more of the same. Yeah. Awesome. What does your daily routine look like? Um, usually I try to get up and, um, look at the sunrise every day. Um, there's an energy to that in the morning, um, on many levels, um, and try to do um, a meditation after that, or when the kids go to school, um, to kind of clear my head, start my day and working with clients, um, stick, I get into that work. And then afterwards, uh, clear out my energy, meditate. And then I get into just the, the structure of, mom, dinner, sports, all of those things. And then before bed, I like to just have a gratitude uh, appreciation for my day and I'll journal um, a couple of things that came through that I'm very grateful for because it's so easy for us to look at everything we didn't do where I write down everything and it can be very simple as I remember to put the clothes in the dryer versus washing them for four times. Like the little things we have to just appreciate that we're doing, especially if life feels overwhelming and we don't feel like we're doing enough. So the gratitude journal is very important for me. Um, so, and then in between all of that, I'm usually reading something or have my, my notes in a book. Yeah. 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 I do. I do my, my gratitude journal in the, in the morning, but I've definitely found it to be quite, quite useful as well. Yeah. So as is the name of the podcast, the driving force podcast, what do you think has been your driving force throughout your life? Um, you know, there's probably two or three things that are, that, that create that for me. And, um, one is the seeking of knowledge. Um, I don't think I ever stop seeking knowledge and asking questions and having the courage to step into who I am, um, and, and being who she is and allowing others to do that. So knowledge and courage, and then probably one of the biggest, uh, pieces of energy, um, and driving force is compassion. Um, compassion not only for other people, but compassion for myself and compassion to show up and not have all the answers and not have it all figured out and know that I'm still okay and allowing that compassion for other people to feel the same and do the same. Yeah, I can, uh, I can see the Gemini sun and Virgo rising in that answer. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> awesome. And then lastly here, before we wrap up, any like parting words of like wisdom uh, you'd like to leave the listeners with or anything you'd like to leave the listeners with? Um, let's see. You know, I think it's the same thing that I would say somebody that was in my office or speaking to somebody that, you know, grant yourself permission to um, trust yourself, grant yourself permission to show up for who you are, permission to change your mind, to change the course in your life, to check into where you are today versus two months ago, five years ago and show up for who you are um, and be okay to make mistakes because it's where we learn and the soul grows through that to get back up in that strength. So um, 
give yourself permission um, to just be and to go through life and, and make changes if you need to. Definitely. Awesome. It's a great place to end. And thanks again for coming on the show. This is great. Chase, thank you for having me. Yeah. Where can people go to find you online? Uh, they can find me at annedonnell.com and it's Ann with an E, annedonnell.com. And you can book through there and information on there. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. They can find me. Awesome. And you all call us a visit my website, chaserosa.com and follow me on Instagram at chaserosa4 for updates on new episodes. Thanks everyone who's listening and see you next time.